Well, it's uh, good to be back and to be with you. And these are happy days, aren't they? With uh, enjoyed hearing Pastor Ben last week and excited about him coming. Uh, how many of you are here who were on the search team? Just stand up right now, will you? If you were on the search team, stand up so that we can thank you for all the years of work you put in. <clears throat> And I think a, a great outcome. Uh, I'll tell you, you'd be shocked how hard it is to find a pastor right now. There is a huge shortage in this country, and about one out of four say they're going to re retire in the next five years. And it's really hard to find somebody. And I think the fact that you found somebody so good. You know, my father was in the Army in World War II, and uh, they said if he'd become a chaplain's assistant, they'd make him a corporal. So he became a chaplain's assistant. And... Uh, an army chaplain, my dad would have been all over that. Boy, he loves that. Uh, so glad uh, that he's coming and keep praying for him. I, I saw this online. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, uh, being a pastor isn't stressful by Duncan, uh, 22 years old. <clears throat> but uh, it, it actually is kind of a stressful job at times. And Today, take out your Bible and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to start there. We're going to talk about the job description of a Christian today. And uh, we're going to talk about it in answer to this question. What does the Bible say we should do every day? Somebody asked me that question uh, back early in the summer. And I guess my first blush was, well, I suppose there's just like a huge list of stuff the Bible says we should do every day. But then I started to think about it. What kinds of things come to mind for you? If something you should do every day, what do you think of? Okay, praise is always the number one answer. Somebody say, read the Bible. And I'm just kind of surprised to see that those actually are not specifically said for every day. Now we know it says pray without ceasing, but the things that it says and notes that you should do on a daily basis uh, are the things we're going to look at today. And there's four of them. Uh, and the first one comes in Deuteronomy 6. Father, as we open the scriptures again and pay attention to your word, may your Holy Spirit come, give us eyes that see, give us ears that hear, and hearts that are receptive, and use your word now to accomplish its purposes as you promised it would. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Deuteronomy 6, 5. Uh, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul and all, and all your strength. Uh, the first thing it's going to say, if you're filling in the blanks, is to teach your children. To teach your children. Let's go on and see where that comes in. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly. Look at the words. Commit. Wholeheartedly. To what? These suggestions. No. These commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again. Repetition, restatement, redundancy to your children so that when you talk to your kids, they hear the first sentence and they kind of know what's coming. It's just familiar. It's understandable. It's discernible to them. And talk about them when you are at home. Talk about them when you're on the road. Talk about them when you're going to bed, end of the day, and when you are getting up. Now, you might think that that's, it should start with uh, getting up. But you have to remember that for a Jew, the day begins the evening before. Uh, so uh, when does the Sabbath day for a Jew? Uh, Saturday is their Sabbath day, but when does the Sabbath day start? It starts Friday night at sundown. 
And so it's actually starting at the beginning, which is the evening of the uh, before. And it says, you know, for the whole day, you should devote yourselves to teaching your children. Uh, and in Psalm 145, it says, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts and let them proclaim your power. Again, it says uh, back at the start that what are we supposed to communicate to our kids? That you should, you must, you have to, compulsory, have do this. Love the Lord your God. Your heart, your soul, your strength, everything. You just have to, you have to love God. Because why? Because nobody loves you more. You know, this is the one who created you, the one who gave you life, the one who lives with you, and you should be grateful for that, and you should return that love. The, the greatest stories, the saddest stories in literature are always stories of unrequited love, where someone is so in love with someone, and yet the person that they love doesn't love them in return. And don't be that person in the story but teach your children to love God with all their heart, their soul, and their strength. What a great thing to see a missionary trip with your kids going with you. What a great thing to be able to pass that along and to bring your children along with you in the adventure to follow Christ. The next thing it says is uh, in Matthew 6, and you probably might have guessed this one, give us today the food we need. Uh, Leith Anderson commenting on this said that uh, I think he said I think a lot of times when we when God looks at us he says are you eating again you know uh, I could take uh, people from Africa and I could show them this country and there's one thing I could show them that would literally bring them to their knees and it would be when they walked into a grocery store and they saw all the food, all the options, all the things available to us, and they would not believe that something like that was even possible. How many people in the world, according to the United Nations, are starving to death right now, today? And the answer is 250,000 people. A quarter of a million people today in the world. Now, you might have had a good breakfast. You might be okay. But there are a lot of people in the world who don't have that privilege. And I think for us who have it, one of the things we need to hold is to thank God for what he's provided for us. I, I, uh, I like eating out. You know, when you, it's my wife and I, uh, it's hard sometimes just to cook for two people and stuff. And I'm always glad to go out because she always wants fish and I don't want fish. So, you know, we can, we can make that work. And I'm always shocked, though, when we go out, I hardly ever hardly ever, maybe once, twice a year, see somebody actually praying for their food out in public. And, and, and frankly, a lot of times I've seen that I bought lunch for them because it just blesses me to see what they're doing. How about you? I mean, a lot of times I, I watch my family, my, my kids and my grandkids, 
And I understand that it's hard because, you know, the family sits down and uh, Grant isn't back from track practice yet. And, uh, and Avery's got to eat quick because she's got to get to a, a meeting at church tonight. And Noelle is trying to finish her homework and to get the kids at the table. And so people are starting different times. I understand that. But there is a time when you're together at that table in a family and just be able, again, as, as a parent, to stop and say, let's thank God together for this food that we're enjoying. This is something I think we should be doing every day. The, the word here, the daily though, or today, is an interesting word. Here's a common commentary. The meaning of verse 11 depends largely on the very rare adjective, apiosios. In addition to the traditional translation, daily bread, it could also mean bread for tomorrow. Christians, therefore, should pray daily for the next day's provision of life's essentials as they recognize that all sustenance for one's life comes from God. So we thank God for what we have today. We pray God to continue to supply all of our needs as he promised us from his wealth in heaven. Uh, one of my friends get, sent me this on Facebook, and this was a 50th birthday party in England. You look at that food. I mean... <laughs> I, I, I'm, I've, I don't know these people. I don't know how many people were there. But to me, it just looks sinful almost, doesn't it? Just to have, do we really need to have that much? And sometimes just uh, valuing what God has given to us and blessing it and being grateful for it is a great gift. The third thing it tells us is uh, getting a little more to the heart of our matter and it comes from Luke 9, uh, starting at verse 23. And it says, uh, take up your cross. Then Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Let's just stop there for a minute. Give up your own way. In the Old Testament, there's a word, uh, and it's, it, it's called uh, hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. And in Proverbs, it says, uh, the person who is often reproved becomes stiff-necked and, and in the end will be cut off, and that's without remedy because of the hardness of heart. Jesus said, Moses allowed divorce because of your hardness of heart. Hardness of heart means this. You want to do things your way. You want to do things what you want to do. You want to go where you want to go. You want to drive what you want to drive. You want to, you know, wear what you want to wear. And we can become so obsessed with ourself and our human nature and our desires, our self-centered desires. Jesus says here, you know, you want to be my follower? Let's start with this. Give up your own way. You want to follow me, Jesus says, you've got to make a decision that you're going to do it my way, not yours. And that starts with you deciding you're going to give up your way. And that is a difficult thing to do. And then he says, and then take up your cross daily. Now, you'll notice here in the text, go forward one, you'll notice here in the text that this is in uh, Luke chapter 9. This is, you know, just about a third of the way into the book of Luke. This is not cross to, close to the cross and crucifixion. This is right at the beginning uh, of his ministry, just kind of getting going. Jesus was always conscious of the cross, 
always conscious of his self-sacrifice that was coming. And he says, if you want to be with me, here's what you got to know. You're going to have to give up your own way, and you're going to have to take up not just my cross. You're going to have to take up your cross, and you're going to have to do that every day if you want to follow me. You cannot follow Jesus and be a self-centered Christian. You just can't. You have to have a sense of what God wants to do in this world and that you want to be part of that. He says, uh, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. You can't hold on to it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourselves, yourself lost or destroyed? You have to have eternity in view that there is more than this world uh, about a month ago, I was visiting my, my sister. She lives on a farm in Odebolt, Iowa. <clears throat> used to be the place where the Cracker Jack popcorn came from. And uh, visiting them there, her family, they have a lar large farm, uh, her husband, brother, nephew. And uh, as I saw a lot of the people, I was celebrating because I was a youth pastor in that city 50 years ago. And I was surprised to see the kids who were in my youth group were doing quite well. But you know what I noticed about every one of their farms? They had a whole lot more of bin space than they used to have. They had a whole lot more space for cattle, a whole lot more space for storing grain, a whole lot more space to handle stuff, and they had more equipment, and they had more trucks. And I thought, you know, it's just so easy to subtly get into this game of having more and more and nicer and better and getting consumed with the game. <clears throat> As John Ortberg wrote, if you've ever played a game at home, one thing you've noticed about the game, it doesn't matter really who wins or loses that game, Monopoly, whatever it is, Parcheesi, whatever you play. At the end of the game, it all goes back in the box. And that day is going to come. You know, uh, again, you've all... No U-Hauls after a hearse. I mean, it's, it's gone after you leave here. And... You have to have a sense of your significance. An example of that for me is William Borden. William Borden, as a young man, uh, was a millionaire by the time he was in high school. When he graduated from high school, his parents took him with, uh, had him uh, taken with a, a chaperone on an around-the-world tour for one year. At the end of that year, he went to a school, Yale, and as he was uh, a student at Yale University, he began to adopt the philosophy, and his philosophy was uh, uh, no reserves. No reserves. I'm not going to hold back. His, his quote was, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Uh, as he began to live on the Yale campus as a student, he decided to start a group of people who would meet together to study the scripture for a short time and have prayer together. And they would do that every week. By the time uh, he was done, his first year, over, of, of the 1,300 students at Yale, 150 were in similar groups every week, meeting together for Bible study and prayer. Now, I didn't state Moody Bible Institute. I said Yale University. He did this. 
By the time he was a senior, over a thousand of those students were in those small groups every week meeting to hear some words of scripture and pray together. His idea of not holding back anything, of saying no to self, deny yourself, take up your cross every day, follow Jesus, it impacted that whole school. And thousands of people in their lives were changed. He went to seminary when he graduated. He was 24 years old and he went to Egypt because he felt a strong pull to go to the Muslim people inside China. But uh, as he was learning Islamic, the, the, the language, as he was learning the culture in Egypt, he contracted cerebral meningitis and died 25 years old. Here's his grave in the American cemetery in Egypt today. When he passed on at his funeral, they pointed out that he had actually a couple of phrases in his Bible, inside the front of his Bible. The first was as a student, no reserve. The second was no retreat when he went to Egypt. But when he knew he was dying, the final thing he wrote was no regrets. No regrets for following Christ. No reserves, no retreat, no regret. See, that's to be a person who follows Christ and what it costs. Galatians says that uh, my old life, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Follow me, Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross. And Paul echoes that you have been crucified with him now. I was thinking of, of how that lives out. Notice there the key phrase is, I live in this earthly body by trusting. You see the word trusting there? In uh, the Son of God. In Isaiah uh, 40, in the Old Testament, he gives power to the weak, strength to the powerless, even youths will become weak and tired. Young men will fall in, in exhaustion, but those who trust in the Lord, so we're back to trusting now, will find new strength. They'll soar high on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. We've got those three things, soaring, running, and walking. And I used to think the order really is like this, these, these three words, that, you know, you kind of start out walking and then eventually you run and then eventually you soar. But you'll notice that the words are not in that order. If you, if you, if you look at the, the words, again, go back to Luke for just a minute, the word daily, Jesus said this is something you should do every day. And you can't always soar every day, I don't think. And so I think the order of the words, if you look at it, is not coincidental that it actually starts with soar and then it goes on to run, but it, it, it is building up to, it's not ramping up to soaring, it's ramping up to walking. And you say, well, what sense does that make? Well, if you think of an eagle soaring, an eagle that's soaring spreads its wings. You know, they're heavy, big bird, but they spread those big wings and they kind of work on the updrafts and on the winds. They hardly move their wings. I mean, a, a little hummingbird beats its, uh, rings, his, its wings something like 50 to, you know, uh, 200 times a minute. 
and, and an eagle is just soaring. And it's great to soar, but it really doesn't take a lot of effort. Running takes more effort than soaring. And, and running and not being weary takes a lot. Uh, yesterday they had a big, uh, I'm sorry, little aside here, rabbit trail, okay? Yesterday my uh, grandson, uh, Grant Miller, ran in a, a big tournament in Clovis, California. It was uh, in the high 90s temperature-wise, and it was uh, an invitational of the top cross-country runners in the state of California running in a 5K, and my grandson, junior in high school, took second place yesterday. Uh, in that, uh, and I'm so proud of him because it was hot, it was, uh, f you know, 5K, a long way, and he was able to run and finish the race. And I'm proud of the boy for that he did that. Uh, he certainly does not have my DNA, I'll just say that. That would not be me. But he just, uh, he excels at that because he loves it. I, ha I hear people say, I say, how's it going? How's it going to work? Oh, man. I'm just trying to keep up with it. I've got kids. I've got a job. I've got bills to pay. I've got stuff I want to do. I feel like I'm, here's the quote, running all the time. I just feel like I'm running just to keep up with my life. Uh, and then the last area is walk. Why does it end with walk? Because some of you one day will get a call from your doctor, and your doctor is going to say, uh, I've got to talk to you about some of your test results. And you're going to say, okay, uh, when, you want, when you want to make an appointment, he says, no, you don't understand. I need you in my office today. And you, you just know it's not good. I'm not sure, cancer, leukemia, what, it's, it's not good. And you start having to face medication and, and radiation and all kinds of care. And you know what you strive to do? You try to get through one more day, one more hour, and you, you realize you're not soaring, you're not running, you're fighting for survival. And I think that's what it's building up to because sometimes for us, that's going to be the greatest struggle. Not hard to love God when you're soaring on the wind, even when you got through the day that you ran through. But sometimes when you get those days where to stay in your marriage one more day, to stay with your health regimen one more day, to stay with your job one more day, will take everything you've got those who trust in the Lord will find strength to be able to soar, to be able to run and not grow weary, to walk and not faint. Literally, it's, the, the Hebrew literally says to go and not collapse. Finally, Hebrews 3, encourage one another daily, long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The, the final thing is to encourage one another. Every day, try to encourage someone. Encourage, uh, again, giving focus especially on the Christians in your life. It says, uh, it's an antidote to something you wouldn't consider. Look at the last part. None of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 
How can I afford becoming? I talked about hardness of heart. How can I avoid being hard? How can I uh, uh, get away from the deceitfulness of sin that hardens me so that everything's got to be my way? And it says, how about this? Live your life to encourage somebody every day. Every day. Job was said by his friends in the past, you have in encouraged many people. You've strengthened those who are weak. Your words have supported those who are failing. You encourage those who, with shaking knees. Literally, your words have kept people on their feet. Everybody out there could use a word of encouragement from you. Everybody can. You'd be surprised how many people think they just have really never heard you say you love them. How many people have never heard you say, uh, that was really a great meal, or that was really something wonderful you did. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for helping. It's interesting, in church world, according to Barna Research, people consider the following important when looking for a church. How much the people seem to care about one another was number one. Four out of five people said, if I'm looking for a church, you know what I'm looking for? A great new pastor. No. Nope. They're looking for people who greet them when they come in the door, and they can sense and feel in that room that the people there care about each other. Their radar is going when they walk in. Now, you got a pastor coming, and you have a potential to have a significant impact in this community, but you got to do your part. you got to support them and pray for them and all that, but you know what? you got to just be happy to be here. you got to encourage each other, encourage him. You got to know his wife's name. You got to know his kids' names. You got to know when their birthdays are. You got to be nice to them. When, when we moved to California from Chicago, I didn't know anybody in Whittier, California when I moved there. But one of the ladies on the search team uh, was an accountant at, uh, for Walt Disney, and uh, she gave each of my kids a one-year pass at Disneyland. Do you think that that helped my kids to like California more? <laughs> yeah, I think it did. What can you do? to really make this whole family feel welcome. One of my friends, Art Freeberg, was a pastor out in Iowa for years. And I said, was it a good church where you went to? He said, it was a great church. Do you know that most mornings, uh, every week, every week somebody would put eggs in front of our house. We never had to buy an egg the whole time we were there. We would go to the, the, the locker, and different people at the church had put meat into our account at the locker, so we had meat. He said, the people there just were caring for us every day, every week. When, they, when produce was there, they would put fresh produce on our front porch. We never knew who did it. But, you know, there's, we, there's so many things you can do to encourage him and, and help him to feel that you're love. Carmen Berry wrote about why she went back to church. When a friend committed suicide, I realized I could become too cynical, too lost, too alone. I needed a church, a community of believers. I needed to live in my faith and visit my doubts. Something happens there that simply doesn't when you're alone in prayer or on the Internet. I, I <laughs> this probably shock you, but I kind of miss you when I'm not around here. And so a lot of times I'll watch the service online and I'll listen to Keith get up and give the announcements or, or Shay get up and talk about the search thing and stuff. And it just feels like, it just makes me feel good inside again. It's, internet's great, but you know what? It just ain't the same. 
as when you walk in the door. It's just not the same. And there are people out there who have to do it online. I understand that. God bless you all. But beyond that, there's something that happens when we come together that we need to do. It says in Hebrews 10, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Yeah, some people do. Don't do that. Let us not neglect our meeting together. Read those words with me. Let us not neglect meeting together, but encourage one another. Where I'm supposed to encourage people every day. I can do that. One of the best places is when I walk in here, uh, I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to encourage the leaders of this church. Encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. In community, Nancy Ortberg said, if someone isn't okay, then to some degree I'm not okay. And I can come alongside some of those people and encourage them, help them. And again, back to our main verse. Encourage one another daily. Do it today. Gets easier with practice. But get at it. Close with a story. Um, and then we're going to have a, a special reverse offering. You ever have a reverse offering? Okay, hold on. At the age of seven, my minister's best friend, a little girl, got lost one day. She ran up and down the streets of the big town where they lived. She couldn't find a single landmark. She was very frightened. Finally, a policeman stopped to help her. He put her in the passenger seat of the car, and they drove around until she finally saw her church. She pointed it out to the policeman, and then she told him firmly, you can let me out now. This is my church, and I can always find my way home from here. I can always find my way home from here. And, and Anne Lamott writes, and that is why I have stayed so close to my church, because no matter how, how bad I'm feeling, how lost or lonely or frightened, when I see the faces of the people at my church and I hear their voices, I can always find my way home. Look to the person on your left and say, I need you. Person on your right, say, I need you. You're important to me. I need you in my life. Yes, you're going to come, and we're going to give you a, a reverse offering. They're going to pass the plates, and I'd like you to take two things out of the offering. Now, just in case you don't know that, you're not supposed to take things out of the offering normally. But today, uh, there are some of these uh, plastic chips in there, and I'd like each to take two of them. So just go ahead and pass those. Uh, and I'd like each to take two of these little plastic chips. I'm not going to call them what some of you might call them. They're just little plastic chips, okay? No games involved. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story while they're doing that. There was a guy, and he was talking to his best friend, and he said, my wife and I went out to celebrate last night because uh, I came to the last chip. And he said, what do you mean? He said, well, years ago, I heard somebody say that the average life expectancy of a man in North America right now is 73.3 years of age. And so I figured out my age. I was 56 at the time, and I figured out how many more weeks I had left 
in my expected lifetime. And I put uh, in a glass jar a bunch of these red plastic chips to represent, uh, and every week I would take one out. And at first I just threw them away. But then I thought, well, I, I should do something more with it. So what I started to do was every week I would look for somebody who I thought was special. Someone who showed some great kindness. Someone who reached out to me in a special way. And I would find somebody and say, hey, I just want to say thank you. I just want to say how much what you did just really impacted me. And here's just a stupid little thing to say thank you. And he said, last night, I told my wife, we celebrated, that I came to the last chip in the jar. He said, so you know what I did? I filled the jar up with some more chips because I want to be an encouragement to people. So I'm going to give you the benediction in just a minute. Before you go home, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to take one of those chips and find someone somewhere in the building, child care worker, one of the people on the search team, one of the elders, one of the leaders in the church, your Sunday school teacher, find somebody and just say, thank you. I just have to let you know that what you do matters to me, and I really appreciate you. Give one of those away today. And the other one I want you to take home with you. And I want you to, to look around in the next week and find somebody out there who you can just say thanks to. You got it? Let's stand for the benediction. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you, be gracious to you, and may God lift up his face toward you. May he give you peace. In the name of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And together we said? Amen. Okay, now before you go, do it.